Okay, good morning, everyone. Um, good to be with you all um, on this beautiful May day. If you want to stand with me, we'll begin this morning with the call to worship. And this one is taken from Psalm 33. And this morning, uh, we're going to talk a lot about creation, God's relation to creation, what is it, and this psalm specifically speaks to that. So I'll read the bold section if you'll follow along after me in the non-bold. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. The word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, and he puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth hear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Amen. If you want to remain standing and turn to hymn number 224, we'll sing Before the Throne.
Before we get to the word this morning, I wanted to express these two analogies. I hope I'm not beating a dead horse here, but these came to me and I just thought they were really good. Have you seen the image of, it's a, it's a, a back, black background, and then they have at the bottom all the books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And then they have these arches that connects all the books and the verses. Have you seen that? All the arches are different colors. It's a multicolor, and not just the primary colors, but the several hues of different color. And it shows in an image the interconnection of all scripture. So you have the Old Testament that's connected to the New Testament, and the New Testament's connected to the Old Testament. And so there's this, just this really cool uh, picture that is just really, really neat. And I just, uh, that's something I thought of when you're talking about the word. And then the second analogy kind of goes along with it. If you think of it like a, a tapestry, if you know what a tapestry is, it's threads that are put together in a way that, that forms an intricate pattern picture, if you will. And the word is, is like a tapestry where if you're up close and you see the intricacy of, of each thread that's, that's put into it, but you don't really get the whole picture until you step back a little bit and then you see the picture. And in a tapestry, when you talk about the whole scripture of God, the Old Testament and New Testament, it points to Christ. It's, it's Christ that you see in that tapestry. And I don't know why I thought of those things, but they were just uh, really strong on my heart this morning. And we were talking about uh, the scriptures this morning, starting in uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 23. Two, this is just one of my favorite, of course, it's one of my favorite books of the Bible, Romans, of course. Romans 1, 18 through 23 is just phenomenal. We're without excuse. We have no excuse of not knowing. You can say you're an atheist. You can say you're agnostic. But the word here will tell us that there is no such thing. That everyone, because of general revelation, because of creation itself, we know that there's a God. So let's read uh, chapter eight, uh, chapter 1, verse 18 through 23. I'll read it for us. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, and animals, and creeping things. <clears throat> oh. So this morning, with that in mind, 
Here's our, our prayer of confession I want us all to, to join in with. Almighty Father, you are all powerful, the creator of all things, visible and invisible. You have made us in your image, and by your providence, you preserve and sustain us. And yet, instead of worshiping you, the creator of all things, in our sin and darkness, we worship and serve creation. We worship our homes, our families, our money, our status, our comfort, our own passions and flesh. Forgive us, Lord, for the sake of Christ when we trust in ourselves. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, illuminate the light of the gospel in our hearts. Amen. You want to remain standing and turn to hymn number 209. We'll sing a new one this morning. There is a fountain. Many of you might be familiar with this song. Uh, we'll sing the first four verses. We won't sing the fifth verse today. And then at the end of each verse, we'll do a small refrain. And we'll repeat the, um, the last phrase a couple times and the last line. But many of you are familiar with this song. There is a fountain filled with blood. Drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Will you sing with me as you're able?
2 Corinthians 4, 6 tells us, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord. Knowing that you are the light that shines on all the darkness that's within our dark hearts, Lord. Thank you for your light. Father, this day is uh, filled with turmoil and strife. We want to lift up, Lord, to you the different needs that we have in our lives, Lord. The, some of them we know, some of them we don't know. We want to lift up Elisa's father. Robert, Father, be with him. We know that your hand is, is on his life. We know that everything about this situation is in your hands. And we rest and trust in that, Lord, and ask that you would touch their family. May this be a time where you show yourself in a real and miraculous way, Father. Thank you. I lift up my cousin, who I just found out has been taken to the emergency room, and ask that you would be with Linda and her husband, Kevin, as, as they're seeking answers to whatever's causing the, uh, the issues that she's having, Lord. Father, for, for the rest of us, those that we know, the loved ones that we have, acquaintances that we know that have real needs, thank you for everyone who's here this morning, Lord. Thank you for the people that you've, you've made a part of this uh, this small body, Lord. Our desire is to only glorify you. And in everything that we do, the small things and the big things, Lord, we do it unto you to give you the glory, Lord, not ourselves. Father, be with us the rest of this day. Be with us the rest of this uh, message that Kendall has this morning, Lord. May it touch our hearts. May it prick our hearts. May it soften our hearts, Lord as you serve us with your grace through, through this message. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So in our beloved 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith, of creation it says, in the beginning, it pleased God the Father. Why don't you read with me? In the beginning, it pleased please God, God the Father, Son, and Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit. For the manifestation of the glory of this eternal power, wisdom, and goodness to create or make the world in all things therein, whether visible or invisible, in the space of six days, in all very good. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning again. It's Good to be with you all on this Sunday morning, this day that we get to come together and worship the Lord. Uh, if you want to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1, we'll be continuing our study through the Gospel of John. Last week we got through a whole whopping one verse, <laughs> but hopefully it was uh, edifying and, um, you know, that's, that's the great thing about Scripture. I forget who said it, but... Its depths are that 
that an elephant could walk through it and not touch the bottom, and yet a child could <laughs> splash in the puddles of. And what I think is being said there is that there is such a depth to Scripture, and yet at the same time it is clear on the things that are clear. And so uh, hopefully we got into some deep things last week, but hopefully they were edifying and, and uh, gave glory to God. And we talked last week about the Word, this great verse in John 1.1. 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we talked about how this Word is eternal, distinct from the Father, and at the same time divine. And that's the point of John, what John is saying there in John 1.1. And this week we're sort of going to, John's going to kind of transition us into talking about the Word's relation to His creation. I said we'd talk about that this morning. You've probably seen it. In the liturgy, we've talked a lot about creation, light, darkness. We'll get into all those things this morning. That We're going to see that the word, the logos, that John refers to, is not just divine by his title, but by his attributes, by his actions. Namely, this morning, in creation, we'll see that. And that we'll ask these questions, that how is the word and how is the logos related to creation? Is the word part of creation? Is the word, you know, a created thing? We'll ask questions like, how does the word relate to creation, his creation? And how does creation ultimately respond to the word? And we'll see that the response is not what you would think. That this creation that we've talked about, that God created, all very good. You would expect the reaction to the word coming in to the world would be that of joy, of rejoicing, but we see quite the opposite. And so hopefully this morning we'll ask this question, ultimately, what is our response to the word coming into the world? What is our response? And we'll reflect on that today. So if you want to follow along with me, we'll, I'll read verses 2 through 5, and I'll pray for us, and then we'll look at the text this morning. This is the word of the Lord. I'll begin with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we set aside each week to worship you and to rest. And if we're honest sometimes, Lord, there's many things going on in our personal lives, in the lives of people around us. It takes a lot to to get up, to get ready, to get our kids ready, to come and sit. And, and if we're honest, we're distracted. We're, our minds are in a thousand different places. But yet each week you call us to come to set aside this time, not only to worship you, but for our own benefit, for our own growth in holiness, in maturity. And so ultimately, each week we can remember the gospel of Christ and be changed from one degree of glory to the next. And, and we cannot do this by ourselves, Lord. We can 
We can stare at the scriptures all day. We can know all these great truths. But if your spirit does not work in our hearts, if it does not illuminate these truths, then, then we're dead on the inside, Lord. So we need you to bring life this morning, and we pray that you would. Because you promised that you will. Uh, we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So great truths again this morning, and we're still in the prologue. We're still in the introduction to John's gospel. And we talked about John packs all these themes into the first 18 verses that will be carried out through the rest of John's gospel. And so there's a lot packed in here, and so we might go a little bit slower, <laughs> but we'll pick up as we go, I promise. But like I said, this is sort of a, John makes a transitional statement here. And verse 3, he says, he was in the beginning with God. That he's talking about the word that he, we talked about last week. That John sort of switches from talking about this almost impersonal, the word, to a pronoun, he. He's identifying what the rest of the gospel is going to be about. What the rest of his book is going to be about. It's going to be about this he, the word. And it might seem repetitive to us, because what's he say? He was in the beginning with God. John sort of reiterates sort of what he said in verse 1. If you look with me at verse 1, it says, In the beginning, again, was the Word, and the Word was with God. And then verse 2, he says, He was in the beginning with God. <laughs> and so you're thinking to yourself, John, you're repeating yourself. <laughs> and there's a couple reasons for this. One, repetition in the Scriptures indicates emphasis. If you think about Isaiah chapter 6, what are the cherubim singing in heaven? Holy, holy, holy. They're not repeating themselves just for the sake of it. It's to emphasize the holiness of God, the thrice holy God. And so here we have repetition. Another reason John does this is to sort of emphasize how connected those three phases, those three um, phrases in verse 1 are. Some people will try to separate the three parts of verse 1 and say all these different things, John is connecting them, saying that the Word was eternal. The Word was eternally with God, and the Word was eternally God. He's connecting them for us. And it's sort of a transitional statement into verse number 3, verse number 3, where he talks about this idea of creation, that these words in the beginning, as we talked about last week, should make us go back to Genesis 1-1, where God talks about creation. Where God creates the world. The heavens and the earth, everything that was made. These words, in the beginning, we see in both, both verses 1 and verse 2, should remind us of God's creation. This divine act of creation. And so we have to ask this question, we talked about it in our liturgy this morning. What is creation? What is creation? Have you ever thought about that? What is creation? That it is a divine act of God. There was nothing. There was darkness. There was chaos. And then there was something. <laughs> that creation is a divine act of God. Whereby he creates all things by the word of his power for his own glory. And that this is a divine act. I'm using that word particularly because we do not have this power, right? My four-year-old can create something, like a tower, right? She can build up her blocks and create a tower. 
but she's really just rearranging already created things. In my day job, I work at an architecture firm and we create buildings. We build tall buildings or short buildings or whatever. But, so we're making something that wasn't there and so it can seem as if we're creating, but it, we're not. <laughs> we're just rearranging materials to make something different. And even something that might seem like decreation, like a fire, is really just rearranging the particles, right? I'm nerding out a little bit, but all that to say, architects are not creating. God is the divine architect, whereby he created all things from nothing. This is creation. It is a, it is a divine act. It is a divine prerogative, meaning only God can create. Me and you cannot create. We are not like this. Only God can do this. And so... All that to say, when we get to verse 3, it's an amazing statement that John makes here. It's an amazing statement that John makes here. That through the word, all things were made. And he says this both positively and negatively. If you want to look with me at verse 3, he says this, All things were made through him. That is the word. So that's positively. All things were made through him. And if that wasn't clear enough, John goes out of his way to say it in the opposite way. He says, and without him, that is the word, was not anything made that was made. It's a really almost confusing way to say it, but it's both the positive way of saying the word created all things. And anything that was made was not made without the word. That's what he's trying to say. And this is amazing because if you would have asked anyone in the Old Testament who created the world, what would they have said? God. Yahweh. John is speaking to this audience. All they had was the Old Testament. And he's saying that the Word created all things. <laughs> That's interesting. And that would have perked some ears up at that time. And so John here is ascribing a divine action to the Word. He's saying the Word created all things. And if we know that creation is only something God does, he's implying something about the Word. He's reinforcing what he's already said in verse 1, that the Word is God. And that this Word is divine. And not only that, but that this word is divine in nature. Not just title, not just named God, but has divine attributes, has divine actions. And this is proof of the divinity of Christ. Not if, if verse 1 is not enough, verse 3 is further emphasizing the divinity of Christ, of the word. That the word, the Son of God, created all things. And someone in the Old Testament might say, but I thought God created all things. And you would say, exactly. <laughs> the Word is God. The Word is God. And that, if you're confused at all, I thought the Father created. How is the Son also creating? The Trinity is co-equal and co-eternal, right? The persons of the Trinity. There's one will in the divine being. So there's not multiple wills, Father, Son, and Spirit are all acting in creation. We read that this morning in, from the Confession of Faith. And so, John here is putting out two categories. I think it's helpful to think about it like this. Two categories. There's things that are made, 
and there are things that are not made. There are things that are created, there are things that are not created. Or we could say it like this, there is creation and there is God. <laughs> and those categories are exclusive. And this is pertinent, you might say, Kendall, what does all this matter? Why are we talking about this? If you've ever heard of Jehovah's Witnesses, if you've ever had one come up and knock on your door, have you seen one out in Central Park? They're very nice people, they're devout people, but they believe that the word here is a created being. The word is a created being. It might be the first and highest created being, but the word is a created being, that the Son of God is not God, but is a created being. And so if you talk to them, they will go to places like John 1, and their translations sort of mess with it, and so they'll say things like, the word was a God. Or they'll go to places, places like Colossians and said, that would say that the word created all things. They would say the word created all other things. And so their translations sort of mess with um, the words here and try to trip people up. And so they're very smart. I mean, most Jehovah's Witnesses study seven to ten hours a week on how to confront these hot topic issues. They're not, they're not just out there, you know. I don't know what else to say. I don't know what to say it in a nice way, but they're very smart, okay? And so one time we were in Park City, Utah, beautiful place. You can literally ski down from a mountain into like a restaurant and eat if you've never been there. It's a great place. So this was before we had kids. We were walking down Park City. There's this beautiful street, lots of restaurants, lots of fun stuff to do. And there was some Jehovah's Witnesses with their tracks. They were standing off to the side. And for some reason, I just felt this desire to go up and talk to them. And I didn't know what to say. So before I went, I quickly Googled on my phone how to talk to Jehovah's Witnesses. I don't know everything, you know. In a, in a spare moment, you know, you got to come up with something to say. And so there was this helpful uh, apologist was sort of talking about these two categories. Because like I said, if you get into an argument with a Jehovah's Witness about John 1.1, 1, 1, their translation is different. And so they're going to push with you on the Greek, and they probably know more than you. And it's going to be confusing and difficult. Not that you can't go there, but it's very interesting. Their translation of John 1, verse 3, is very similar to most translations that are not Jehovah's Witness. And so you can go there with them, and this is what I ended up doing, was speaking to them and saying... Of all the things that exist, there's only two categories. There's only things that were made and things that are not made. And John is making that very clear in verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made. So you're either a created thing or you're uncreated. You're either a creature or you're God. And so you'll establish these categories, and then you ask them, where is the word? Where is Jesus in those two categories? And they'll try to put him in the creature category, in the created category. But John does not make that possible. <laughs> because he says in verse 3, all things were made through him. That there's nothing made that was made that was not made through the word. Are you with me? <laughs> well, let's say it this way. John is saying that there is this category of all things created. And the word is not in that category. Or we could say it this way. If it came into being, or if it was created, it was created by the word. Therefore, 
the word cannot be created. <laughs> so, all that to say, the word is not created. That God in the person of the Son is not created. The Son did not come into existence in the incarnation. When John is making this assertion about the Word, he's telling us that the Word is uncreated, that all things were created through Him, that the Word is divine. And he is ascribing divine attributes and actions to the Word. And this continues in verse 4, where he can kind of continues his thought. He says, In Him was life. That the Word is the source of all life, the fountain of all life, the life giver. And we could say that this is creature life, that in Him we live and move and have our being, right? That God is not only in the person of the Son, the creator of all things, but the sustainer of all things. We talk about these ideas of creation and providence, that the Word not only created all things from nothing, but preserves us. That why are me and you breathing right now? Why, are we, why do we have life? Why do we move? <laughs> because God is sustaining us. He's upholding the word, the world by the word of his power. That the world and creation is not some clock that God wound up and left. But he has a hand over creation. He preserves it. He governs it. He upholds it. And then in verse 5, it says that the light shines in the darkness. That we're seeing all these words attributed to the Son of God, to the, to, um, who will later become Christ. That we see in verse 1, the Word. We see that He is the Creator. We see that He is the life. And in verse 5, we see Him referred to as the light. These are all ways of John saying that the Word is God. And it says here that the light shines in the darkness. The light shines in the darkness that John is now referencing this darkness. That he started, as we said, he's gone back before time, before creation. He's talked about the word creating all things. But then he says the word, the light, has shown and he's admitting that there's darkness. This is him acknowledging the fall. Right? The curse. That God created all things very good. But because of Adam's sin, the world was thrust into darkness. Into sin. Into depravity. And that this was not by accident. That God cursed it. He, right? he said, if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. That God pronounced the curses. That this creation that was very good... Because Adam broke this covenant of works that all creation is thrust into darkness. This is why our governments are fallen. This is why our culture is fallen. This is why ourselves are fallen. And they cannot be redeemed because they are cursed. They cannot be redeemed by us. They are fallen. They are cursed. This is the common curse. This is what we know and live in every day. This is why sickness exists. This is why there's sin in us and the people around us. This is why we sin against others, and others sin against us is because of this darkness, this sin, this fall. And then John says this, and the darkness has not overcome it. If you're reading from the ESV, it'll say this, that the darkness has not overcome it. And this is a true statement that the, that the, the darkness does not overcome the light. But a lot of the older translations 
will say something different. If you have an older one, it might say, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not comprehended it. The darkness has not comprehended it. And I think this makes more sense of the context, and hopefully we'll see that. That, another way to say it, is the light, the darkness has not yielded to the light. It's not comprehended it. It has not understood the light. It has not apprehended the light. And not only do I think that makes sense because of what John will say next in verse 7 and 6 and 7 and 8 about John the Baptist witnessing to the light, bearing witness, but if you look with me at verse 10, there's sort of these parallel statements that he makes that I think what John is trying to say in verse 5 is not so much a statement of victory, but a statement almost of condemnation. That it's not so much about the darkness not overcoming the light, but that the darkness won't yield to the light. And I think we see that in verse 10, because what does John say? He, that is the word, was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Yet the world did not know him. He says in verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And so John's sort of saying, the light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness has not understood it, has not comprehended it. It's rejecting it. And we know this because John later goes on to say in chapter 3 that this is the judgment. Light has shined in the darkness, but the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That the darkness did not understand the light. It did not yield to the light. That this light of the world, this life of men, came into his own creation and the creation rejected it. The darkness did not yield. It did not give itself up to the light. That it rejected him. And we can say that because this is us. <laughs> This is what John is trying to say to his audience, that yes, the light has come, but the darkness has rejected it. And this is what we see played out in John's gospel. What happens again and again and again? Jesus proclaims himself as the light of the world, yet they try to crucify him. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And they try to stone him. That they don't like the light. That the darkness does not like the light. Why is that? Because the light exposes evil. The light exposes evil. It exposes darkness. It exposes our sin. And this is what we see in us. That when we come to the, when we see the light, we don't like it. We shrink back. And John tells us that's because our works are evil. That we, like Adam and Eve in the garden... When we sin, what do we do? We try to hide our sin. We try to keep it to ourselves. We try to hide it and put it away as if God, the all-knowing creator, couldn't see it. And it's almost laughable, right? But this is what we do. This is what we do in our sin. And this light shines in the darkness, and it tells us how messed up we are. It tells us that we're sinners, that we're thieves, that we're adulterers, that we are haters of God, and we don't like that. We don't like that. Because what does the darkness do? The darkness protects us. It doesn't confront us. The darkness doesn't, it doesn't convict us. It doesn't tell us what we're doing is wrong. It lets us have our sin. It lets us have our cake and eat it too. 
but the light exposes our darkness. It exposes our sin. It confronts us, and it takes us deeper, deeper into the darkness. And so in and of ourselves, we are lost. We are in the darkness. We are unable to save ourselves. This is us. We are the darkness. We are the darkness that does not yield to God's light. And so hopefully you're feeling this weight, this sense of helplessness that, okay, if, if I am in darkness, how am I? What's the remedy? What's the solution? How can I be saved from the darkness that I'm in? If you want to turn with me, actually you don't even have to turn. You can just look at our assurance of pardon this morning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, the Apostle Paul gives us the remedy. He gives us the solution, the way that has been made. The solution to this darkness. And what does he do? He makes a parallel between God's divine act of creation and God's divine act of salvation. That God has made a way to save us. That God has made a way to save us. And he compares it to creation. What has he said about creation? What have we said this morning about creation? That before there was only darkness. Chaos. Nothingness. Darkness. And God said, let there be light. He spoke into existence what was not. Namely, light in the darkness. This is divine act of creation. Speaking what was not into existence. And Paul says, that same God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has done what? He has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That God has done something similar in our hearts to that which he did in creation. Namely, speaking light where there was only darkness. <laughs> that in our hearts there was only darkness. There was only sin and destruction. And God said, let there be light. Except it was not the light of illumination of the sun. It was the light of the knowledge of the gospel. <laughs> right? That Christ has taken on flesh the word of God, the light of the world, the life of men has condescended and taken on human flesh. Why? Because we're sinners. Because we could not obey God's law. And he has done what we could not in order that we could be saved. That in his active and passive obedience, God has done what we could not through the person and work of Christ. And I think for some of us, it can be difficult because we know the facts of the gospel, right? Many of us can recite, yes, Jesus died for my sins. Yes, these things are true. The resurrection, the crucifixion, the virgin birth. We can say these things, but just knowing the facts of the gospel is not what saves us. We need something more. We need this illumination. We need the light of the gospel not just information about the gospel, we need illumination. We need the light, we need this new creation act of God to give us a new heart with new desires, new affections, 
And this is what faith is. What is faith? It is receiving and resting on Christ alone for salvation. What is receiving? Open hands. It's not giving anything to God. It's openly receiving the work of Christ for us. It's an act of faith. And it's also resting on Christ alone. What is resting? Similar to a chair. It's trusting in that thing. I can know that this chair will hold me. But I'm not resting in it. I'm not trusting it unless I actually sit in it. This is what faith is. It's receiving what Christ has done. It's resting on him alone. And this is why we need the power of the Spirit to illuminate this knowledge of the gospel in our hearts and to give us faith to open our eyes to see the glory of Christ. This is why we need new hearts. And this is why each week we proclaim the gospel. Because it's not only the thing that saves us, it is the thing that changes us. It's not only the thing that we're, we do at the beginning of our Christian walk, and then we can kind of go on from there and we can leave the finished work of Christ. No, it's the thing that changes us. Why? Because when we see what Christ has done for sinners like us, we don't want to sin anymore. We don't want the sin that put Christ on the cross. We don't want to continue in that. We want to mortify that. We want to kill it. We want to obey God's law. Not to earn anything from him, but because of what he's done. And we want to extend that forgiveness to other people who were otherwise unlovable. <laughs> On the cross, Christ was praying for his enemies. And when we see that, we're convicted and we want to forgive those that as freely as Christ has forgiven us. So, I'm reminded of the words that we sang this morning as we come to this time where we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper beautiful words that we sang this morning. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. <laughs> that we're sinners and we need the flood of the fountain of the blood of Emmanuel, God with us, the one who took on flesh for us and for our salvation. We need to be cleansed by that. There's no other way we can be cleansed. We cannot do enough. We cannot know enough. We cannot be good enough. We have to be plunged under the flood of this blood of Christ, this saving power of God. And just as the dying thief, right? He couldn't do anything. He was nailed to a cross. But he said, Father, I mean, he said, Son, remember me when you come into your kingdom. There's nothing he could do except believe. And so this morning, may we do that. So as we come to the table, we're reminded of this cleansing flood. That why did Christ have to shed his blood? So that we might be forgiven. And we're reminded of that in the broken bread, broken, the broken bread and the the cup. And so, um, let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for this means of grace that you give us each week to not only remember, but to look forward and to proclaim your death until you come again. We are weak, Lord, we are sinners, and we, even though you've saved us by your grace, we continue to sin. We continue to have hard hearts, to be proud, to be arrogant, to be haughty, to be boastful, to be 
to hide our sin. Help us, Lord, to confess our sin to you now and to trust in the finished work of Christ and this means of grace that you've given us to encourage our souls, to feed us spiritually, not just physically with the bread and the wine, but to feed us spiritually, that we might feed on Christ and him crucified this morning by faith. Help us this, Lord, this morning, Lord, to, to believe, to not trust in ourselves and our own devices, but to trust in Christ, the word, the light of the world, the life of men, and that this light of the gospel, as it's shown in our hearts, in our hearts help us to respond to that this morning by faith. We need your help. We need your grace. We need your spirit, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So yeah, every week we come and we're reminded of our Lord's words on the night he was betrayed. He took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup and he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood spilled for you. And as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So come this morning as you're able. We'll form a line. Go back to your seats and we'll partake together. song, Our Sins, They Are Many. His mercy is more. Right? Amen. Um, would you take the bread with me? Would you eat? And as we eat, remember and believe that Christ's body was broken for the forgiveness of all of our sins. to cleanse all of our guilty stains. So may we take, drink, remember, and believe that Christ's blood was spilt for the forgiveness of all of our sins.
you want to stand with me this morning, we'll respond by singing Psalm 23. If you want to turn to hymn number 319, we'll be singing it to the tune of Amazing Grace. given us so much, and in an act of worship, we're to give back to him. So let's pray for the offerings this morning. Lord, we thank you for all that you've providentially given us, Lord. Um, We're called to be content in all things, in want and in prosperity, and in all these things, we're to be content, and so we now give a part of what we've been given 
as an act of worship, as an act of adoration to you for what you've done. Um, And we pray that you would receive these, that you would use them for the growth of your kingdom, not ours, not not our kingdom, but your kingdom, Lord. Uh, We pray all these things in your son's name. doxology. things before you leave this morning. Um, The church purchased a couple books for a small book table back there. Um, For anybody that doesn't have the confession of faith, the statement of belief of our church, there's free copies back there. Take one, or if you know somebody that would want one, um, feel free to take that. It just goes through uh, what we believe doctrinally. Many of you know this. Um, The second book is called Green Pastures. Uh, it's a book on the ordinary means of grace. It's a small book. It's not very many pages. You've probably heard me use this language. Uh, maybe this can help explain some things in there and uh, very easy to read. And then this third one is called What Happens When We Worship. It's a book about worship and some of the things that we do every Sunday. Maybe they've been foreign to you. Maybe you haven't done them previously. And so this book tries to explain some of those things and what's really happening from a heavenly perspective. A little bit longer book, but under 200 pages. A great book about worship. So take those. I think there's enough for one for each family for these two. So uh, yeah, there you go.